welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast where we show you that women are capable of achieving incredible things when they have the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. My name is Victoria Smith. I am a stress reduction coach who is all about helping women decrease their stress so that they can actually enjoy their daily lives. Imagine that. Now today on the podcast, I am over the moon, or I guess I'm over Mars? I don't know. Basically, today on the podcast, we are joined by astronaut Abby. Now, for those of you who don't know who this incredible gal is, Abby, Abigail Harrison, is a girl with a dream. She aspires to be an astronaut, but not just any astronaut. She wants to become the first astronaut to Mars. With a dream this big, it takes setting goals and working hard each day to make them a reality. And in 2011, at the age of 13, Abby began to speak publicly about her dreams. You know, she's even done a TEDx talk about making her dreams a reality and what is your Mars. Not only does she study really hard and is working towards, you know, this dream of becoming an astronaut, but at the age of 18 years old, Abby founded the Mars Generation, a 501c3 nonprofit with the support of an advisory board of astronauts, engineers, scientists, and her hundreds of thousands of online supporters. And the nonprofit has reached over 25 million people in its first couple years of operations with its work to educate and excite kids and adults about space exploration and STEM education. Basically, she's a badass. Like, really. All the things that we talk about in the podcast episode, you hear how, you know, she juggles so many different things. But because she is so clear on her why, it is very, very poignant and helpful for her. Now, I want to give a shout out to an Alberta podcast, fellow Alberta podcast member, Vanda Favreau from the Tight Ends podcast, because it was on Vanda's podcast where I first heard Abby. Um, Vanda, back in 2017, did Overtime number three, and it was a full interview with astronaut Abby about the Netflix documentary that Abby features in The Mars Generation. So I uh, big shout out to Vanda because I, I, that was my first exposure to Abby. Now, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. So this episode specifically is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Now in Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. Park Power has low overhead, and chances are that you'll save money if you switch. You can find out how much money you would save by visiting parkpower.ca and plugging your numbers into the Alberta Energy Savings Calculator. If you decide to switch, it's easy. Nothing changes about your service, only the price you pay. So learn more at parkpower.ca. Now, in this interview with Abby, you know, we talk about all the things that she's doing in her early 20s right now, getting her pilot's license. You know, she's going to college. She's learning Russian. She's staying in peak physical shape through things like dance and acro yoga and rugby. She still has a social life. And, you know, did we talk about the nonprofit? So she's got drive, she knows what her goal is, but I also ask her in the interview, like with so much being outside of her control with space travel, how does she actually stay focused? Which I think is really relevant for any of us. So many of our our goals, our dreams, whatever we're working towards are out of our control. So how do you keep focused? Uh, we also ask, I also ask her how does she keep moving forward sustainably without burning out? Because when you take on so many things, burnout, you know, is becoming more and more prevalent. So this will also be, you know, doesn't matter if you're training to be an astronaut. I think, I think any woman out there who feels like she's got a lot on her plate will gain some insight from this. We talk about what self-care looks like when you do all of the things. 
And training to be an astronaut is not without moments of fear and doubt. I mean, hello, flying a plane solo across the country and eventually going into space. So while my fellow listeners may not be facing their fears of launching into space, they will face other kinds of fear. So Abby breaks down how she overcomes moments of self-doubt or fear in her life. And finally, Abby shares how she's not just about big dreams, but big actions. And we discuss how women can achieve this in their everyday lives. So this is not to be missed. It's such a great episode. And right now, if you are a fan of the podcast in general, what I want you to do is to take a screenshot of yourself listening to this on your phone. Just take a screenshot of the episode and share it with three friends. Text them, share it on social media. Doesn't matter how you do it, but let people know that this is something that you're enjoying because it makes a big difference, to be honest, to to our listenership. People have so many different podcasts that they can listen to. We really care about personal recommendations, right? I know for me, my podcast to feed is it's not bachelor related, but it's filled with recommendations that I've found from through a friend of a friend and have now become addicted to. So if you are addicted to the Girl Tries Life podcast, please go and share it with three friends right now. Finally, before we get into the episode, uh, this is episode number 102. So you can find show notes today at Girl Tries Life forward slash podcast forward slash 102. But if you remember, a couple weeks ago, it was my 100th episode. And to celebrate, I'm still giving away three 100-minute stress reduction coaching sessions. So I'm not giving them away until we get 1,500 entries. Now, remember that if you do all the things to enter, then you get 11 entries. So it's really not as many people as it sounds like. It's maybe 150 people, a little shy you know, my math, but a little shy, a little shy of 150. So if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel a little too stressed out, if you want to make a change, if you want to have a more simplistic, stress-free life, then enter this giveaway. Tell your friends about it. Uh, Have them sign up because it could be you and your friends who win this, right? I know through personal experience I'm a coach who has been coached, who is being coached. I know the benefit of coaching, but I also know how it can be nerve wracking for people who have never done it before. You don't know what it's going to be like. So winning one of these would be a really great tester to see if this is the kind of way that you can move forward with your personal development and your growth and stressing less in your life. I always say life isn't stressless, but I can help you stress less. So these 100 minute sessions are really geared towards helping you pinpoint the root of your stress triggers and how we can actually take action immediately to address them. So if that sounds like your bag, check in the description of this podcast, wherever you're listening to it. I've included a link to the giveaway. I have also included a link to today's show notes and everything that we have talked about, including the book Atomic Habits. Now, as I am recording this, Atomic Habits is a book that uh, Abby and I talk about in the episode. And I do want to let you know that usually when I bought this book, it was $37. That's an expensive book, This, but this book is changing my life. It's called Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. But good news, guys, it's on sale right now on Amazon, in Canada at least, for $21.60. So it's a huge savings, and you're going to want a copy of it because I can't tell you how much I've highlighted in this book. I mean, the whole book is basically should just be highlighted. So I've also included a link to that in today's show notes and the description of wherever you're listening because I truly believe everyone should go and get a copy of this book. It's got five star reviews across the board. It is a good one and 40% off today. So I think you should check it out. 
Okay, without further ado, let's head over to the interview with Abby. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for joining us on the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So I was first exposed to you on the Mars Generation Netflix documentary. That was uh, the first time I had ever sort of realized that there was this, I guess, cohort of folks your age who are like getting ready to go to Mars. Yeah, I thought that that documentary was so cool because it did symbolize this resurgence of the space program that we're having and and the excitement that space has to to inspire an entire generation really to go out and do great things both in space and here on Earth. And I had listened to your TEDx talk and I was hoping you could give our listeners a little bit of a brief background of like how you fell in love with science and space. Absolutely. I have been in love with space for as long as I can remember. Honestly, some of my earliest memories when I was probably four or five years old are of standing outside uh, in the cold Minnesota winter. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where I grew up. And the, the skies, despite living in a city, the skies were still so crisp and clear during the winter time with that, that nice dry air. Uh, so I remember standing there and looking up at the stars and just being awestruck, just being overwhelmed by this sense of, of wonder of how much we still had to explore, how much there was for us to learn. And I remember thinking to myself that I wanted to be a part of that, that I wanted to go out there and travel among the stars, basically. And then once I got older, I continued to hold on to that passion and that love for space exploration. Uh, realized that traveling among the stars isn't quite so possible, but definitely traveling among planets is something that's very doable. And so that's a, a passion and a goal that has really guided me for my entire life now. So I have to ask, because as a parent, I think I'm, I'm expecting my kid to say, I want to be an astronaut. And so I'm sure your parents were kind of like, yes, that's, you know, all kids say that. When did that sort of switch to, oh, no, she actually is, wants to be an astronaut, like legit? <laughs> I love that you asked that. You are definitely a parent. <laughs> yeah. By <laughs> For asking sure. that question, because it's super true. It was around the time that I was 11 years old that my, my mom realized that I was really serious and committed to this this dream and it, that it wasn't just something that kids say because kids <laughs> do say, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a veterinarian, I want to be... A marine biologist. <laughs> right, or yeah. even some more out there things like, I want to be a princess. Like it all gets yeah, yeah. all of these things that, that especially that we expose them to through books or other material like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do know that some kids hold on to that or some kids revisit childhood dreams. But the truth is that a lot of us, that first dream that we have isn't necessarily something that sticks with us forever. But mine was. Mine was something that it wasn't a like a transient thing that I was saying. It was something that I knew deep down that I wanted to do. And so after about six years of hearing that constantly, consistently, <laughs> my mom realized, oh, Maybe she does actually want to be an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of Mars, I'm hoping you can break it down for like the average listener. Why is Mars so important for us to go to? Ooh, my favorite question. <laughs> 
Mars, so I think that there are three reasons, three main reasons that Mars is absolutely important and the, the next step in space exploration, really. The first one is that Mars is the perfect testing ground for our continued abilities in space exploration. It is this it's in this really almost like a Goldilocks position for us with our current capabilities and also what we want to do in the future to be able to test ourselves and to push our limits and our boundaries. It's far enough away that it requires us to develop new technologies and new procedures to really start to develop this idea of Earth independency, of being able to go somewhere without having Earth, whether it's information or physical resources that we're getting from Earth, as an immediate backup but it's still close enough that we're not completely cut off from, from Earth. So for that reason, it's it's really the, the kiddie pool that we're dipping our toes in to learn how to send humans throughout the rest of our solar system and eventually the universe. So the second reason then is that we need to continue to push in space exploration because space exploration gives us a lot of benefits. It's one of the highest rates on return of investment. It's one of the um, most impactful ways that we can influence uh, technology sectors and um, improvements in quality of life and all of those types of things here on Earth. But we don't get that just from being in space. We get those improvements and those benefits from challenging ourselves in space and from pushing ourselves to to put ourselves in difficult and dangerous and uncomfortable situations and then learn and figure out how to make them possible. And so if we want to continue to receive all of these incredible benefits from space exploration, we need to not become complacent. We need to continue to push that boundary and always ask ourselves, what's the next more difficult thing that we can do? And Mars is that next difficult thing that will allow us to continue to improve life here on Earth by pursuing space exploration. And then the third reason that I think Mars is so vital is that we as humans are explorers. It's part of what makes, it's part of our very humanity, something that you can talk to anyone around the world and every culture has a history of exploration in some way. And so for us to be able to continue to do that outside of our own, own planet is something that I think is is really vital to our culture continuing to develop and to really staying true to what makes us human. I feel like that second one you were saying is like a metaphor for life. Like we need to not be complacent and keep pushing ourselves for the things that we want to do in life that we won't improve if we don't keep trying. Oh, absolutely. And I think that you see it in, I love that you uh, say it's a metaphor because it is, you see it in every type of discipline that has people at like an advanced level in it. So like in particular, I'm thinking I'm a dancer, I do ballet. And so you see this all the time in ballet that when you talk to ballerinas who are really at the top of their game, who are who are leading companies or things like that, they will never ever say that they are satisfied yeah. with something that they're doing. They're always trying to improve. They're always looking for that next thing that they can accomplish or that next way that they can improve. And I think that you can apply that. It's that same idea, it's directly related to that point in space and it can be applied to really any any job or any passion or aspiration that you have here on Earth or off. 
And there's so many things. <laughs> I mean, I will link people to your YouTube page, but all the different things that it takes to going into how do you become an astronaut. And I will link them to the video you just did on this, which was a really great explanation. But in getting to Mars, so much depends on factors that are outside of your control, like government investing in NASA, like the economy, advances in technology. So given everything that's outside of your control, how do you stay focused? It's absolutely completely accurate that you can have this dream and you can try your hardest and you can even do everything right and be super lucky and still not become an astronaut or not end up walking on Mars or being the first person to Mars because there is so much that's out of our control and so many moving parts in play over such a long time period. And that's something that a couple of years ago I had to really sit down and, and think about and ask myself two things. One, if I continue to apply myself to this dream and continue to really pour my heart and soul into it and, and my energy and time and in 20 years or 30 years, I don't become an astronaut or I don't walk on Mars. Will I still be happy? Will I still be proud of what I've accomplished or where I've gotten to in life? And, and the answer that I came to was yes, because following a dream and pursuing it can can only lead you to good places. I've already done so many things in my life that I couldn't have imagined, like flying airplanes. Yeah. That I couldn't have <laughs> imagined if I hadn't been following and pursuing this crazy dream. And so the idea that I have with that is that, of course, getting to Mars and getting to space is the primary goal. But as long as I, if I can look back and say that I truly tried my hardest, that I will be uh, happy with where I've gotten to in life, regardless of the eventual outcome. And then the second part of that that I really had to come to terms with was asking myself, what's more important to me, me being the first person on Mars or helping us to propel humanity to Mars at all? And the conclusion that I came to really quickly was that it's the second one, that of course, I have this personal dream of wanting to go to Mars, but that from the way that I look at space exploration, it's even more important to me that we have a continued presence in space and that we continue to push for these these great goals. And so whether I end up in space or on Mars or someone that I inspire or someone that I'm able to um, in some way influence over the next, I don't even know, couple decades ends up in space, that will be a victory for me because I um, I think that we need to look at it more as a collective effort rather than any sort of competition. Well, and so that leads us very nicely into not only are you training to be an astronaut and studying at school and getting your pilot's license, but you started a nonprofit. <laughs> so I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit about the Mars Generation and what its mission is. The Mars Generation is a 501c3 nonprofit that I started about three years ago, and we have two primary goals. Our One of our goals is to increase science literacy, so uh, to expose people more to science topics in general and to increase this understanding of why they're important and exciting. But our main goal really is to inspire and excite the next generation about space exploration and STEM, and then to support them 
in pursuing careers in those fields. So to really truly create the Mars generation now, we need to be doing the work now to make sure that this generation can go to Mars in 20 or 30 years. Someone has to be inspiring and supporting our young people to follow those types of career paths. So that's the that's the focus of the Mars generation and, and the goal. We do that through a variety of ways. We like to think that we're innovative and outside of the box because despite being an education-based organization, we primarily operate a lot of our programs through digital media and social media and using kind of uh, new platforms and, and new techniques with the idea that we want to reach out to people and especially reach out to students and young people where they want to be reached. So we can't come at them from traditional methods and, and cram textbooks about space down their heads. We need to... Yeah, we need to be showing up on their Instagram feeds and we need to be uh, in their YouTube um, autoplay and things like that where they're getting exposed to these ideas in ways that are more of a pop culture um, sense. And uh, so that's a big part of what we do is a lot of that digital work. And then we also provide some some programs where we have um, materials for teachers to help teach in their classrooms. And we, we offer one of our biggest programs is that we offer 10 scholarships, 10 to 16 scholarships every year to students living in the U.S. to go to space camp on full paid scholarships. And these are students who are living at or below the national poverty line. Oh my so we try and, yeah, we try and give them this opportunity. But then we not only have that, we have volunteers who who guide them before and after in sharing it with their communities. So a requirement of that program is that they propose a plan to us of how they're going to, in some unique or creative way, do community outreach to share this experience so that every year we're not just impacting 10 people, we're impacting 10 students who then go and impact 100 of their peers or family members or other community members. Oh, I love that. And I love the um, 24 under 24 leaders and innovators awards that you guys are doing and that it's that it's uh, available to anyone around the world. I think that's fantastic. And the, the innovations that come out of young creative people, I think, is just phenomenal. Thank you. That's one of the one of the things that I'm super proud about with the Mars Generation is that the majority of our programming and our, our resources and materials and such are available around the world. Of course, we do have some limitations. Really, the only limitation we have is our space camp program because of expense and also liability and such. Right now, it's only in the United States, but everything else that we do is worldwide. And our 24 under 24 program, where we've been able to hear about and then highlight and promote and uh, celebrate 24 young people every year who have been making huge changes in the world through STEM has been one of the most incredible things I've seen the nonprofit do. And and largely because we've seen people from these students from all over the world who you may have never heard of otherwise, but are just mind-blowingly compassionate and intelligent and excited about their futures. Okay. I've got a couple nitty gritty questions. Um, uh, so to go to Mars the first time, they're expecting that this is a three-year mission. Is that providing everything goes well? Yes. Uh, and the reason for that is that when you're going 
when you're doing interplanetary travel like this, you want to obviously make the travel time between the two planets as short as possible. And so to do that, you need to line up the orbits for both the trip out there and the return back. At the best orbital alignment of Earth and Mars, we it only takes us about six months to go from Earth to Mars or Mars back. But because we have to wait for that alignment to happen again for the return trip, you actually have to spend um, a fair bit of time on the surface of Mars once you get there. So it, it looks like a uh, roughly two and a half to three year trip right now. Well, and so as being the first people on Mars, you also have to build the infrastructure to get off of the planet. Is that correct? <laughs> I would hope not. Yeah. No. Oh, so like, do you, so how do you launch out from Mars? Like the gravity, how do you get back up in the air? <laughs> yeah. How do you get out of Mars? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very well. <laughs> so it's easier than it is here on earth. It's significantly easier than it is here on earth because Mars only has about one third of the gravity of earth. Okay. So you need so much less propulsion and, uh, materials and infrastructure and things like that. It's still a significant effort, don't get me wrong. But it is more, if you were to say, of the places that we have launched from so far, we've launched from Earth and we've launched from the surface of the moon. Mm -hmm. And Mars is more similar to launching from the surface of the moon than it is from launching from the surface of Earth. Just because when you start to increase the gravitation like you have here on Earth, it, it becomes exponentially more difficult. That said, you still do need infrastructure and you still do need fuels and things like that, of course, to launch. And it's more difficult than off the moon. But an idea that gets floated around all the, uh, very often and that is quite popular is that missions would be sent prior to any human missions to Mars, um, you know, a couple years beforehand. So robotic missions that would include the materials or the infrastructure necessary to mine and, and produce fuels and things like that and that would put all of that on the surface of mars before humans ever got there and even start setting up things like habitats and um, launch facilities and things like that so that you're not sending people to mars and then ending up in a situation where the materials they need suddenly aren't there or something like you know you know years before you send people that everything is already good to go um so that's one of those things that with missions to Mars, because it is still far in our future, a couple decades out, and we haven't set dates for anything yet. A lot of that isn't concrete, but that's one of those ideas that is, uh, at least as far as I see it from having heard a lot of them, one of the better ones, and I think something that will definitely happen. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, I don't plan to build any. Okay. (laughs) I mean, you're talking to someone that's seen The Martian, and that's pretty much it, the extent of it. So I'm like, (laughs) she's going to be growing potatoes? (laughs) Hey, The Martian was fantastic. Absolutely. (laughs) As far as it goes, so that, like, incredibly well done movie and book, just really fantastic, both in showing what would happen, and that's an emergency situation that happens, so that's like a... Worst, worst case, case scenario, scenario. right <laughs> but also just the 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 realism of the the martian it, it's i always recommend it to people as the most scientifically accurate film out there yeah. that i know of i think that they really did a fantastic job with showing um and and properly displaying not necessarily where we are in space travel right now 
but where we will be in 15 years from now. Yeah. And it's exciting to, to get to read that and to see it on the, on the big screen and then imagine that we're all going to live through that. And it is, like you're saying, like being explorers and how unique an experience that is in this kind of modern day age. Right, because despite the fact that we have, we definitely have plenty left to explore here on Earth. We have so much still to discover. There is less of this frontier breaching idea. There's less of this ability to go somewhere that, you know, we've never gone before that um, just by setting foot there, it's a whole new, a whole new world of possibilities. Yeah. Um, but because of the the population that we have here on Earth and and the amount that we have explored in the past, Mars really does provide that for us, and it and it kind of brings us back to some of that that first exploration that we did here on Earth. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit here and ask you. Um, I want to ask you about fear. Because I remember, um, maybe it's recently, or maybe I was just going back in your Twitter for a while, but your first um, solo flight, and you were saying, and you had commented on how you had this moment of like, who in their right mind thought I could fly a plane on my own? And then you reverted into, wait, I'm incredibly, you know, I'm intelligent, I know what I'm doing, I trained for this. How do you sort of, our listeners aren't exactly necessarily flying planes or training to be astronauts, but they deal with fear on a regular basis. How do you sort of self-coach yourself through fear? So you weren't Twitter stalking me too bad. That was pretty okay. recent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was just a couple of weeks ago. I was finishing up my pilot's license or really cramming it. I was working for about a month to get my pilot's license and I did my first solo cross-country flight uh, and I was flying a little two per, two-seater airplane just a small Cessna 152 and yeah there was this there was this moment that I had where I questioned like oh my god like what what am I doing and then so quickly though it snapped back just like just like you mentioned into that idea of don't doubt yourself and that if you have all of the proper background and training, the worst thing that you can do is doubt yourself because I was only in that situation. I was only flying because I knew that I was competent and capable and safe. And because there were tons of other people who had signed off on that as well. Instructors who had all agreed that I was a capable pilot enough to go out and do this, this cross country flight on my own. And so of course, every instance of fear that we have isn't as clear cut as that, where you have this ability to look back and say, here's my specific training for this scenario that I'm in. And here's all the people who believe in me and uh, like why I'm qualified. But I do think that in still in most instances where we have fear happening or we have concern or where we have this self-doubt start to creep in, that we can look back and ask ourselves, why did I put myself here in the first place? Like, what was my thought process then? Did I believe in myself then? And what's changed since then to make me not believe in myself now? And usually you'll find that the answer is nothing, that you're simply having this anxiety or this concern. And that by, by looking back to that time when you were, you know, setting your mind to do something, you can, you can remember why you're capable. But then also asking, who else believes in me? 
who who else is on my side and that's once again not in every scenario but i think that in most situations you'll find that there's at least one other person who who thinks that you're capable or who can back you up when you start to fall down because that's what communities are there for and that's why i I'm such a huge proponent, and this is one of the big pieces of advice that I give to young people all the time who are saying, how do I, how do I follow big dreams or how do I do something that scares me? As I say, talk about it. Be really loud and proud about what it is that you're doing because if you aren't, other people don't know what it is that you're doing and other people aren't able to support you. And so if you have been kind of sharing what you're doing with your community or whatnot, you'll, you'll build up this, this support network that is able to catch you when you fall in those instances, because nobody is ever going to be confident all of the time. Yeah. And there are times where our personal self-confidence or, or, or courage or anything aren't enough and that's okay. That's super normal and something that I think happens all the time. But if you have this this network that you've built up around you to pick up the pieces in those times, then no harm, no foul. Yeah. So you kind of long-winded, but... <laughs> no, no, no. I think it absolutely makes sense. And you talked about sort of dreaming big and acting big, which is a big part of your TEDx talk. So how does acting big show up in your everyday life? I look at it as... so. In my TED Talk, the, the basis of that was that you have these three components to uh, to accomplishing a dream. You have dreaming big, acting big, and then inspiring others. And that looks different for every person and for, for every dream. It's something that's incredibly personal and unique and has to be tailored. But in my, in my life, with my dream to become the first astronaut on Mars and to get humanity into Mars or to Mars in the first place. I look at everything that really everything I'm doing on a daily basis is a big action because despite the fact that a lot of these things on it's a, it's an incredibly long road for me. My dream has already spanned 20 years and will span another 20 so years into the future. And so if I were to only look at the really big accomplishments or steps as big actions, then that would be hard to hold on to and hard to plan for and to continue down this path. But rather by looking at small things, looking at things like um, even as simple as going to class every day, getting up and going running, um, studying for my pilot's license, like those things, the, the smaller ones that, that build into big actions by considering each step that I take, whether it's a small step or, or a huge step to be a big action, it helps me to keep that focus really clear and to, to recognize why what I'm doing on a daily basis is important and how it builds towards making this dream a reality in the future. Yeah. And I think so often we get stuck in our brains, like you're saying, whether it's self-doubt, whether it's just we're, we're in that dream phase and we can't figure out how to get into action and action is what makes all the difference in propelling yourself forward. So even if it is like you're saying a small thing, showing up, going to class, you know, that compounds itself into the outcome. Absolutely. And I think that's something that is a very natural human tendency to look at 
something and, and immediately jump to the end result or to the to the big finale of something and say like how do I and to get over ambitious with how you start out with something to to only want to look at those really big moments that lead up to something and that's that does get people into their head that gets me into my head when I think about it that's the kind of thing that makes you not want to start at all yeah if you look at if you look at a to-do list that you have and you have like 90 things on it then it's super easy to look at that and just be like like this is impossible I'm not gonna do any of this like it's not possible to finish it so why even start but if instead you look at it and you say like what are the ones that I can do now that will help accomplish some of these later? Suddenly it narrows down and it whittles down and it's something that you really can accomplish, that it's something that's that's a stretch goal but but still within reach. And that's so much easier to start doing and to continue to do once you've started and to, to motivate yourself to, to follow through on those types of things. Yeah, I'm reading this really great book right now called Atomic Habits. And that's what he's talking about is this incremental change. If you can get in the habit of getting sort of 1% better or like that kind of amount of change on a daily basis, the the change that that makes over time and the motivation that you get from seeing like progress makes all the difference in sort of high performers. Yeah, that's what did you say that that book was called? I'm going to write it. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. That's exactly what I'm um, talking about here. I, I'm super excited to look into that. It's a uh, really good book. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's an idea that I think intrinsically we all kind of know. We all know that Rome wasn't built in a day. We all know that you have to do something consistently in order to see results from it. But it's not something that... <laughs> We necessarily want to believe all the time. We like instant gratification. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But 1% a day or, or that kind of idea of incremental improvement is, you know, absolutely what what helps to, to drive this forward. So I have to ask, okay, you are going to college, <laughs> training to be uh, a pilot, or you've got your pilot's license now? Oh, man, I was so close. Oh. I... Um, <laughs> It was such a bummer. I so I was I was back home in Minnesota for a month over my winter break, and was trying to get it all completed then and passed the written test and everything, and then had to do a like an actual in-flight test with a with a pilot examiner, and the entire last week that I was in Minnesota that I was planning to at some point within that week do that test was bitterly cold, <laughs> like the type of cold that you can't fly small airplanes in because yeah. it's dangerous with, with their engines. And oh, it was, oh, it was no. so I'm like right there. I'm, oh. <laughs> well, I hear you. I'm in, I'm in Calgary and it's Pardon? minus 28 degrees Celsius right now. So I'm, I'm imagining Minnesota and Alberta share that kind of cold weather, but so you're yeah. training for this. You're a dancer. You do acro yoga. You have this nonprofit, all the things how do you sort of, how do you fit it in? How do you prioritize? How do you maintain self-care? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, media still- interviews, like you do it all. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I do. I do a lot of really diverse things. I, all the ones you mentioned, I also, I play rugby. I'm doing two different independent research projects right now. 
I'm applying for jobs for next year and have all that. Have a social and, life. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I do, weirdly enough, have a social yeah. life. <laughs> it's a little bit of a nerdy social life, but it, it's there. Yeah. And that's something that I'm still figuring out and that the last couple of years being in college, I've, I've made mistakes and I've worn myself out and I've had some problems with that sometimes because I'm the kind of person who wants to do everything. I want to try everything. And once I try something, I don't do it half-heartedly. I'm either going to do something or and commit like 100% to doing it or I'm not going to do it at all. And so those two personality qualities of wanting to try everything and also not being able to just try things make it a little bit difficult to, to balance sometimes. But I've, I've gotten to a point now where it's, it's about learning what your limitations are, learning how far you can, but really how far you should push yourself. And then also asking yourself, how do I, how do I stay balanced? How do I make sure that the choices that I'm making right now are sustainable for 20 years? Because if it were a goal that was, you know, within the next six months or within the next year, sure, you can just, you can run yourself into the ground and still achieve that goal. And then afterwards, you're, you can recuperate. But with something that's 20 years out in the future, if I'm only focused on that, or if I'm only, I think the social life is a really great example of what I'm saying. If I, if I ignore everything else in my life in order to pursue this dream, that's not a sustainable thing to do because burnout happens and because that creates a life that's that's not happy. You need to be fulfilling your self as a human along the way as, as well. And so it comes down to having to make those sacrifices and, and say that you can't do everything. I can't do everything, even though I want to. And that sometimes I have to choose things that seem kind of counterintuitive. Like I sometimes choose to go spend time with friends or to go have that social life rather than just being hitting the books all the time um, or something. But, but it comes down to trying to look at the big picture rather than, than seeing it as an immediate goal. Basically what I'm saying is I'm still not sure. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, and this is the problem though, as well as that on the outside, everyone seems fine. Right. So like, I don't know you personally, I don't know what's going on in your life, but from the outside, everything seems great. So it's figuring out how to maintain, like you're saying, strive towards that goal. But like, like we're saying that incremental change, slow and steady, as opposed to spike and burnout. Right. Strive towards that goal, but don't forget yourself along the way. And I think that one of the most important things that I've done to not burn out and to to take care of myself along the way is to really have diverse interests and to be involved in arts and music and things like that along the way. And so that's helped me to have that more balanced life. But even so, you're absolutely right that we still have this, this altered perception of people, whether they're public figures like I am, where you... I share a lot. I, I share a pretty pretty real version of my life with people on social media. But even so, it's still not a completely, like, it's not what I experience. And so you have that whether you're looking at a social media, whether you're looking at a public figure on social media, or even just your friends. We can always look at someone else and look at it and be like, oh, grass is greener on the other side. But that's because you're only seeing what they're putting out there, not what they're actually experiencing. So I think it's it's totally accurate to say that 
you know, we're all, we're all not as great as we seem. <laughs> we all have our struggles, but yeah, we all it's have struggles and we all have. Um, and I think that that's helpful though, because you have a lot of, it's, it's easy to look at other people and to say like, if they've done all of this already, or if they're doing so well right now and I'm not, then like there must be something fundamentally different between us without realizing that that's definitely not true and that they're having struggles as well. And it's just that everyone has different challenges that they face. Well, and I remember seeing a quote or something somewhere that said, um, all these people you think are overnight successes are like eight years in the making. And like you're talking about, you've been fascinated and into space since you were a child. And so here you are in your early 20s and, you know, you're doing all these things, but you've been doing them for a decade or more, right? Right. And so I love that you bring that up. And I've heard that quote as well. And I think it refers to this idea of like the messy middle, yeah. like that you you look at someone, we look at all these, yeah, these success stories and you see the beginning and you see the end, but it's not very often that you get to actually see that middle part where, where, you know, rubber beats the road and, and there's, there's struggle or there's doubt or there's even just not even struggle or doubt, just hard work, just a lot of time commitment and things like that. And so completely agree. And I hope that that's something that actually having been sharing with people for about seven years now on social media, I've been able to show a little bit of that messy middle and invite people along the whole journey with me, not just the beginnings and the ends. Oh, and I think people appreciate it. (laughs) Well, we're going to move into the five wrap up questions, um, which are sort of more brief and, and quick to the point. So we may have already touched on some of these, but what are the things or the projects that get you fired up in a good way? It can be related to space. It can be totally not related to whatever works for you. I get really fired up and really excited by things that are innovative and by things that are really community driven. And so examples of that are that one of the things that just like, absolutely reminded me why what we're doing is so important was a couple weeks ago watching um, video submissions by students who were applying for our space camp scholarships and seeing how much they have to give and how unique and exciting their ideas are really excited me about everything that I'm doing and about the future that we as a generation have as a whole. So whether it's whether it's something like that, that's a really big picture thing of like, getting excited about the future that we have or something smaller, like learning a new technique in dance or starting something that I've not had as much experience in in the past or something like that, like new challenges and, and novel ideas really spark me. Yeah. Yeah. What um, I imagine you read a lot for school. I don't know if you have a lot of time outside of that, but is there a most inspiring sort of book you've read in the past few years? Ooh, the most inspiring book I've read in the past few years. <laughs> That's such a hard question. I do, I'm a huge sci-fi and fantasy nerd. Uh, like, just devour yeah. uh, those kinds of books. Don't have quite as much time to read them anymore as I'd like to, but... We have sci-fi nerds that listen. I know, right? It's just <laughs> hard to choose one. Yeah. I think the one of the authors who, who has really inspired me over the last couple of years is Brandon Sanderson. Oh, and yeah. So, oh, you've read him? I haven't, but I was, I go to a writer's conference uh, quite frequently and he was like the guest of honor uh, last year. 
the lineup for him was insane oh yeah i bet that's (laughs) he's um like really starting to yeah starting to get popular now because and his work is just so unique like you read it and it gives you a kind of a different perspective on um on humanity and it makes you think in a little bit of a different way which is exciting because sci-fi and fantasy is delightful and lovely for its own purposes but it's especially great when it makes you like question some of your preconceived notions yeah so what are your go-to methods for handling stress we've talked about you know having your people and your tribe Mm -hmm. yeah you gotta have you gotta have definitely your your um support groups and your tribe and your backups I think that for me handling stress a big part of it is so exercise is very important I find that to be a um absolutely essential thing and something that it can be really easy for me especially to drop to the wayside when you have all of these other things that seem like they're more important and that whether it's going out and and exercising can can be hard to do when you're exhausted mentally from all of these other things but it it actually is one of the most stress relieving things in my opinion and something that if you're doing it consistently can really help you to stay healthy enough to do all of the things that I want to do. And so the way that I, the way that I manage that idea of not actually wanting to exercise, but knowing that it's something that I have to do is that I make sure that it's things that are engaging and fun. And so a lot of um, the exercise that I choose to do is, is playing sports. So playing rugby or pickup soccer or um, going out and doing things like dancing, taking the classes in ballet or partner dancing, that kind of stuff where it's not like you're just forcing yourself to slog through, but rather creating an, an activity out of it. Um, that's my, my most important uh, stress management technique, I think. Yeah. What's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? The, ooh, okay, can I have both a life lesson and a... Absolutely. <laughs> so the best advice that I've ever received was when I was 13 years old and I met an astronaut in an airport. And this is all talked about in my TED Talk, which is called What's Your Mars? So you can get a more in-depth um, explanation of that there, uh, which you've already seen it, so you know this story. Yeah. <laughs> I met this astronaut and while I was talking to him, at one point he gave me a piece of advice that has stuck with me to this day and has really helped to influence a lot of decisions that I've made, which is do what you love, not what you think NASA is looking for, because NASA is looking for people who are passionate about what they're doing. And I think that that holds true, not just with NASA, but you can really replace any um, anything in there. And it reminds me to not try and hold myself to a, uh, a career path or a, a path that seems like it would work for anyone else. So not to go and be an astrophysicist because that seems like the right thing to do, but rather to be an astrobiologist because that's what I'm passionate about and what what excites me. So that's the, the best piece of advice. The biggest life lesson that I've learned has been to uh, get used to failure mm-hmm. and to expect failure because it's going to happen and it's not a bad thing. Uh, but I think that growing up, everyone, we all get told that failing at something or, or not accomplishing it is means that that's the end of the road for that, or that you in some way are, are deficient or, or that that's a, a character flaw on you. And especially as, as women being raised, we're 
raised to be very self-critical often and to expect the best from ourselves and to hold ourselves to standards that are um, maybe not realistic all the time. And so with all of that, it's hard to remember that if we aren't failing, we're not trying things that are hard enough and we're not learning where we need to go next because I've found that failure often is the most important step on the way because it tells you either what's been wrong in the past or what needs to change for the future. And so I've had to really reorient my mindset about that because once again, with a goal that's as long reaching as mine, 20, 30 years, there's a lot of spots in there where things aren't going to go perfectly and where I'm going to either mess up or where things just don't work out in your favor and, and failure happens. And I've run into those already and I know I'll run into more. And so being able to look at that as a, as a positive thing and as a, as a beneficial event rather than the end all be all has been probably the most impactful lesson I've learned. And you're so right. Like people don't learn without failure. We, we get stuck in the status quo or we get complacent and the growth happens in the failure. So it is so critical. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's super critical and it's also very normal. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something we forget how often it happens, but it really is like a part of everything that we do. You don't, you don't ever get in. It's uh, it's especially apparent in science. A lot of times when you're doing like lab research or lab science, things don't go right the first time or the first 10 times or the first 30 times. You don't get the responses you're looking for. You have to keep tweaking your methods and keep looking at it and, and asking yourself, have I considered all of the possibilities here, all of the things that are going into whatever this experiment is, and then altering it based on that. And then eventually you do get exciting results. And I think that's the same for life. Yeah. But it's like it's a continual process. So my final question, Abby, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? Living your best life to me means that you are pursuing a passion that both makes you happy and positively impacts the world. And it doesn't need to be a career goal or a long-term thing or a, a huge dreamer goal like trying to go to Mars but as long as you have something that you can that you can look at and say, this is how I'm guiding my life. And not only does it positively impact me, but it impacts the people around me. And, and that every night when I go to sleep, I've hopefully in some small way tried to make the world a better place or improved someone else's um, day as well. Then I think that 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 means that you're living your best life and that if you look back on it in a couple of decades, you'll be, you'll be proud of, of what you've done and how you've lived. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for joining us on the podcast. It was a true pleasure. Thank you. I uh, really enjoyed it. Love getting to talk space. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope that you got so much out of this girl's incredible life. I cannot, I for one cannot wait to see where Abigail Harrison goes in her career. I, I can't wait to see her be the first person to Mars. It's very exciting and she's got so much drive and passion and is doing great things with the world. I, I just know she's going to get there. 
Now, again, we're giving away those three 100-minute stress reduction coaching sessions. So the link to that, the giveaway, is in the description of wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast, take a screenshot of it and share it with three people in your life who you think would enjoy it. Have a great day and we'll see you next week.